Hello and welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to look at football in the context of sporting directors, delve that little bit deeper into this multifaceted role and its impact within football across the globe. My name is Shailish, I'm the COO at Get Football Group, and I'll be your host today. And as always, I'm delighted to be joined by my co-host, David. How are you this morning, David? I'm well, Shailash. How are you? Doing good, David. Not too bad at all. Um, looking forward to today's episode, actually. Um, firstly, I just wanted to um, just just thank thank the audience out there, thank the listeners for you know for for continually tuning in and listening to myself and David as we talk about sporting directors in the role. Um, we've had some really nice feedback recently, and and today actually, what I wanted to do is jump on a bit of jump on that feedback a little bit. Um, we we mentioned in the last episode uh, where we were talking about you know hiring managers and, and the most important hire we were looking at former players you know as you know and it's quite common obviously former players in that kind of head coach managerial role um but wanted to go that one step further and look at former players who were uh, i guess stepped into that sporting director role and you know dissect that a little bit and, and see how that works so i guess first question david is you know from from the directors that you profiled and from the director world you know some of the most prominent names that you've seen in the role, you know, or or are currently in the role, I guess. You know, and not necessarily how they're performing, but just you know, w- what are you seeing from that former player angle? Yeah. So um, when you talk about former players, um, I, I think an asterisk, a, ca- a caveat needs to be how high of a, a level they went to, right? Because um, you have you have players of, let's say. Uh, I mean, I know he's no longer a uh, director as of now, but you have a former player as in uh, Paolo Maldini, who's obviously a serial Champions League winner, serial Serie A winner. Then you have players, former players, I should say, like uh, Aston Villa's uh, sporting director, uh, Manchi, who um, I think by his own, I'm not going to call it admission, it's more of a reality. He was a backup goalkeeper and he was, you know, very, very comfortable he is very comfortable in asserting that. Um, the beauty of being a former player, especially when you've been to a higher level, um, is that you understand the relational element, I would say, somewhat more um, organically than someone who is more from a, uh, let's call it the commercial side, CEO side, or even a, a, a director who is more from the, um, let's call it the technical side, recruitment side, where there's obviously in the last five or 10 years, you've had more of a proliferation of, of um, I hate saying it, but, you know, data focused uh, executives and di- directors. But when you've been a former player, you understand the, dare I say, the flesh and flesh and bones and you, you understand what can, you can begin to understand a little bit faster what motivates a player especially when we're talking about transfers or uh, contract uh, renewals or extensions. So that's a good point, actually, in terms of the, the prominence of a player or, or their stature, I guess, within the game. I mean, from, from the directors that you've seen, that are most of them players in their, or have been a level of a player previously? Or are they totally like left field? Like, you know, we, we spoke about the Brentford um, you know, sporting director who's completely left field. I'm just trying to think in terms of trends and, and what you're kind of seeing in that sporting director world. Yeah, I mean, I, I would, I haven't done the study. Um, 
just because it, it would be somewhat uh, exhausted. It, it would have to be exhausted. But I would say most most players, especially sorry, most directors, especially if you go to uh, very deep leagues, deep countries, say like Germany or France, where you could be six, seven, eight tiers deep and still have a professional uh, setup. Uh, most of them have played at a high level, um, or let's just call professional level. Okay. Uh, uh, what, what I think about is I think of uh, and continues to be in flux uh, in Germany just as far as uh, I, don't, I don't know if radio sounds is a good or a bad thing. I guess it all plays out. But I think of, say, Marco Neppi at um, Bayern um, played at, at, at I forget where they were at the time. I think it was either three Liga or, or two Zweite uh, Bundesliga. Um, what what Playing at a high level allows you to do, I'll say it a different way, what, what it allows you to do, say, from the more, uh, and not, nothing against, say, Phil Giles, or even, uh, to a certain degree, uh, um, uh, what's his face? Uh, Stuart Webber uh, at Norwich City. Um, what it allows you to do and see is, under, it allows you to understand pathways, Um you know, um, but at the same time, it starts from the top down. Brentford's model is allowed to work um, somewhat, you know, maddeningly for other clubs simply because ownership, Matthew Benham, um, is all in on it. And that communication and that uh, if you're not going to have somebody who who has the relationships and the networks and all that uh, intrinsically, you have to supplement that how. Well, you can supplement it with data. You can supplement it with a, a manager who um, has vast experiences. You can supplement it with a manager who has very good communication skills. Um, so there's always a trade-off, right? You know, if you don't have a great career uh, on the pitch, doesn't mean that you don't have a great mind or you don't have great ideas. Uh, but at least as a starting point, there needs to be alignment. Um, so that basically weekly there, there needs to be alignment from the top down as far as um how do we get talent on the pitch and then how do we keep or you know quite honestly sell off our talent uh when we're when we are ready because uh, that's the, the bottom line is you have to get talent on the pitch um that that is the bottom line so, so i guess if, you, if you're like a prominent player david right so if you talk about I don't know Maldini, or if you talk about I don't know Leonardo at PSG or Deco, at, who was previously at Barcelona, even like Bayern Munich, right? Maybe we spoke previously about you know about Hassan Salihamidzic, you know, big players. Do you think they bring something different apart from just understanding what it means to be a player at a high level? Like what what are they bringing that's slightly different besides that? I guess. Um. They're bringing, and, and it it always depends on the club, right? So if it, if it's their club, in a sense, say like uh, Maldini when he was at AC Milan, Sahamidic when he was at Bayern, if it's their club where they were essentially a legend, um, what they are bringing is instant, uh, I'm going to call it instant cultural standards. And the cultural piece is why... Bayern has won 11. I mean, yes, they have better talent. Okay. I'm not, I'm not discounting that too much, but it's why, it's why they've won 11, you know, leagues in a row. Um, there has to be a talent standard 
um, as far as the, the the capacity of the player, but culturally, you know, one one of the best players, one of the the most let's call it prolific winners in world football that somehow we, I mean, I don't hear enough about him is Kingsley Coman at Bayern Munich. I mean, I, I, he's won, he's won every year of his professional life. <laughs> he's, I think he's 27, 28. And I'm not saying he's better than anybody else at his position. I'm not even talking about that. What I, what I'm more so focusing on is that that player, uh, I think he left PSG Academy, went to Juventus, Obviously, one, I don't know, two or three in a row uh, with Juventus, and then went to Germany and hasn't stopped winning. Like th- those, those are. I'm not saying he's director material, but what I'm saying is that when you have a a, a caliber of a person of a personality um, that has an ego, and we've talked about ego before. Ego is not a bad thing. Ego is neutral. Ego is quite honestly like like money or a transfer budget. It amplifies your ideas. That's really it. You know, um, there's times where it is unleashed and there's times when it's muted. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a healthy sense of what you are capable of as a person, you can tr- you cannot transmit that potential to anybody else, whether you are a player, a manager, or a director. So when you've been... Uh, on the shortlist for for the Ballon d'Or, and you're a director. It, it's really hard for some up and coming, or you know, even if it's a you know uh, a, a tenured veteran, to tell you how it needs to be. You know, <laughs> I, I say that not as an ego clash, but when um, it, you know, it's funny. No matter what sport you play, uh, players know players know who's better. Uh, you know, for my uh, for my kids' basketball season last year, um, I, I coached one of the games, and you know, the kid on the other team was just destroying one of the, the kids. Not my kid. I'm kidding. Not my my kid, <laughs> but one of the boys on the team. And I looked at him, and uh, you know, I'm I'm always keen to 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 always doesn't matter the level. Always ask them what they're seeing. You always ask athletes what they're seeing. Because you can be surprised or humbled um, by what they say, and you know this kid is seven, and I was like, "Hey, what? Like, why does he keep scoring on you? What's happening?" And his eyes got really big, and he said, "Mr. David, he's just better than me." This is a seven-year-old, right? Mm-hmm. So when you have that reality, players know when they can't touch another player. I, I mean. Uh, everybody talks about Messi, Ronaldo, right? As far as comparing, ask the players who, and these are, these are players who are now in their fifties and sixties, you know, who've been around the game, what, 40 plus years now, ask them who they couldn't touch in the nineties and early two thousands to a man is Ronaldo Nazario. Right. And that's a rabbit hole of, of all proportions, but these players know who is uh, the best. They know who they need to respect. And when you have a director that commands respect without saying a word, and he has your club crest on the um, on the paper, you know, on the transfer papers, on the the club papers, it, it's a it's a different weight, you know. We we talked a couple episodes, well, a few episodes back about uh, the Rabios, you know, you you better come correct when you're pitching a, a project to Veronique. It, it, 
it's a little bit different if, you know, um, Paolo Maldini or, or Marco Nepi is talking to the Rabios versus me, right? If I'm talking to them, it's different. It's different, you know, because there's there's a level of air that is attributed to um, players, rightly or wrongly, but I think it's mostly rightly, who have been to the mountaintops of football. So I guess, listen, I can understand when when you get a big player, a big name, it, it probably ticks a lot of boxes um, across many different angles, right? Like even from a fan perspective, you're seeing, oh, I've got Paolo Maldini running show, running the show. He must know exactly what we need here, right? Because he's a legend of ours and he's got the best interests at heart. Um, but I'm just wondering, does does that level of, I guess, stature become a hindrance as much as it does a, as a as a help? If I'm an owner looking in thinking, you know, does he really understand or does she really understand from a footballing business angle? Because we know the director role is a lot more than just being a face or, you know, recruitment or these types of things. Is that Could that also be a flaw to have a big, big name? I mean, I think I know what you're trying to say, but the, the answer is, <laughs> is very simple. Like that, like it always starts at the top. You cannot not recruit the the person, the personality, his his or her strengths or weaknesses. Uh, you know, you, you, the the level, the ambition of the project, like that is on ownership. That is not on the direct. Uh, that is not on the director. You know, if, if I wanted to hire Leonardo right now, who's been out of work, you know, public eye, public eye at least for a couple seasons now. If I want to hire him, I have to understand that he played in an era um, that he's going to say what he's going to say. He's Brazilian. You know, he's, he, he played with many of the top players. Um, he, he has an ego to him. You know, he has a, a, a positive self-confidence and self-worth. That is not a hindrance at all. If you recruit that type of person for your project, right? You look at... Um, and I'm reading between the lines here, right? I'm reading between the lines. I'm not trying to project it any way. You look at RB Leipzig cutting ties with Max Eber, like that, what, what, who they thought they would have in the role in that chair is not who it was as of, let's just say last week. So they went their separate ways, right? I don't believe it's a hindrance. I believe it's, it's you, you get what you think you recruit for, right? And that is another Example, exhibit 5,784, why like nothing, like there's a lot of luck and chance with everything. So you can't pin your hopes on one person, no matter how good he is, if he's a player, a manager, or a director. No, listen, I was probing you there, David, (laughs) 100%. I was was, uh, definitely planting some seeds there. Um, But no, listen, it makes sense. And I... It feels like there's upside all round in in many many cases to this, um, but in terms of like um, you know parts of the role, right? Some of the softer skills where you come in with a with the sporting director role, do do a lot of these players have those softer skills built in? Do you think? I mean, do you think they can negotiate? Do you think they can um, you know put their arm around the shoulder, or do you think they? I mean, I don't. I'm just curious as to what you've seen from the directors that you've looked at. So are, are you asking me, do I think that most players can be directors? Is that? I'm, I'm just curious as to, you know, those skills, where where are they taught or how do you 
that that we think you need to be a director? You know, do these players have it? Uh, that's an interesting question. I would say it is very much, um, I, I would call it fate. You know, if you look at a lot of the managers who are managing now, um, the ones who were, I mean, let's not say world-class players, but very, very good professional players, say like uh, Xabi Alonso or Thiago Mata, guys like that. Look who their managers were. Some of the best, right? So for me, um, I am a big uh, advocate of you are, I mean, birds of a feather flock together. And when you are ambitious and young and impressionable, it's not that you want to be a manager when you're 40. I mean, I would say majority of probably would not say that. But when you see how it is to be done or how it can be done, um, one of the, I don't know if I've shared it yet, but one of the interesting uh, comments from Xavi about his conversations with Cruyff, Cruyff told him, he was like, Xavi, look, like the next best thing after you can't play to, to playing football is being a manager. That, that's something that you're not going to know when you're 21 years old, right? So, yes, there's varying levels of skill and aptitude. And, you know, quite frankly, if you can't do the basics, say, of, of I'm going to call it Excel or math or, or, or business math or what have you, um, that can be a hindrance to a degree. Uh, it, it does limit you to a degree, a degree, but it's all about who you're exposed to. And for me, um, it, it, it's why, and this somehow has become a Bayern-centric example analogy on my part, which I'll, I'll spread it out. It's why Bayern is so different, you know, because a lot of their former players are in director leadership roles throughout the club whether it's on the football side or the business side. So when you can have that level of institutional knowledge that spans generations, not just, oh, I play from 07 to, oh, you know, 2011. No, like I grew up as a fan of the club. I grew up through the academy system, you know, um, and you can multiply that by uh, Carl, Carl Heinz Rummenigge, when you can multiply that by Uli Honus, when you can multiply that by... Um, I'm going to butcher his first name, so I'll just say his last name, Hayner, who's been on the board 25 plus years. You know, you, you give yourself an opportunity. Um, it, the, the example I immediately see is Thomas Muller. Thomas Muller will, I'm making a silly, a silly projection, but he will be the CEO, not just, he, he is Uli Honus slash Carl Heinz Rummenigge right now. He'll do his, he'll do his, you know, his paces as a sporting director or recruitment, blah, blah, blah. He'll, he'll do all that. You know, I say blah, 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 not disrespect to the role, but more so that is the guy that you want at the head of the boardroom table because he bleeds Bayern through and through. He's been there since he was a child. He's handled how many silly, but very, um, uh, open, uh, very uh, contentious, dramatic things has he navigated, has he answered without even being prepared for in the mixing zone in the last five years? All of them. <laughs> so so that is, you know, I hope I'm answering the majority of your question. I know I'm not answering some portions of it, but I, I, other than guys like that who have the genetic makeup uh, to where they do not shy away from leadership and they're very good at, com so communication is the other part. Right. If you're good at communicating, if you're good at, you know, being a leader and answering 
the ultras and talking to the, the media. Um, that's a big portion that allows you to be a conduit for the club. And like I said to a previous question, how can you be a conduit to the club? Maybe that's not necessarily being a recruitment or a technical director, a sporting director. Maybe it's more so, um, I think of Giovanni Carnavale at uh, Sassuolo in Italy. I mean, yeah, he, he, he's aware. He's aware of recruitment, right? But he, uh, he understands and oversees the, the sporting, the business side. How can we position our club financially to, um, uh, to be sustainable? Th- those, are, those are traits who, again, he's another former player. Uh, I mean, those are traits that when you've seen it for 30, 40, 50 years and you know what, what, uh, sorry, what doesn't work and what does work and you understand the financial element of it, it makes it very compelling as a, as a hire. Now, you, uh, listen, we spoke about Bayern before, right? And they look like they've got quite a, well, they have a very unique setup, right? In which it looks like the sporting director pathway is one of the pathways that are available to a player because of just the, the people above and, and their kind of ex-players, etc. like you said. So I wanted to just actually, like that, that pathway for a sporting director, just kind of a bit left field, like, from my background, right, I've been in technology, you know, finance, a bit of football, but I was a software engineer way back in the day. And at certain points in your career, you have to make a decision. Am I going to be like a super techie kind of software engineer, you know, or am I going to go down a managerial leadership route, right? And I'm just wondering, do you think sporting directors, head coaches, maybe they're going to the media, players, etc. do you think players actually see a sporting director as a pathway now more than ever before because of clubs like Bayern, for example? 1,000%. Um, and I'll, I'll talk above it. I won't give out specifics, but the, the level of players that reach out to me on Twitter who are full-fledged professionals for club and country, it, I just it's humbling simply because I wouldn't think about when I – so I played a different sport – um, however, when I was playing, the only thing I focused on was playing. Um, that's not better or worse. That's just how I was wired. I'm not going to be thinking about something that's 5, 10, 15 years away when I need to handle today or the next match day. But it is definitely a route. It is definitely um, it, it's definitely appealing because uh, I joke about it, but it's not really a joke. It's a, it's a billion-dollar reality. It's not humorous anymore. People love playing FIFA, whatever it's called now, FC24, whatever. I don't know. <laughs> um, they, they love playing that and football manager, and championship manager, all these games. Why? Because we want to control everything, even if it's fake. That, that's what we are wired seemingly for. Right. If you go into the uh, the app store, if you have an iPhone or this was Google Play uh, for all the other ones, look look how many management games there are. There's there's too many. <laughs> there's too many. Jose Mourinho has a game, right? Like it, you you get to a point where you have to appreciate that um, there is a a a longing, a yearning for control, and that control comes from a, and man, don't quote me on this, but I believe it's one of Maslow's uh, hierarchy of needs. We want certainty. And in sport, you want certainty. One of the reasons why the same managers get hired every single time a club, you know, a Premier League club is in trouble, 
the main reason why they hire Sam Allardyce or insert whatever manager is because certainty. They did it before in 08. They did it before in, you know, with, you know, whoever, fill in the blank. That is revisionist and very dull thinking at times. But there is a, a seed, a seed of merit to it. And we we want certainty, right? And as an athlete, as a professional football player, what's the one thing that you always want to take care of first? Yourself. I mean, I'm kidding, but like yourself. You want to take care of, of, of your funds, your finances. You want to take care of your family. And you want to take care of your ability to protect your level of performance on the pitch. When you know that you're not going to be able to do that on the pitch with your legs, with your heart, your lungs, what's the next closest thing? If you're not going to be a manager, it's to be a director. I mean, it's gone spectacularly wrong um, at Ajax, but that that's there. You know, it, it's there. You you want former players, you want former players to be in those roles. I'm not saying it should be exclusive. I'm not saying that they should be picked over player uh, other 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 candidates, right? What I'm saying more so is that if you can. And this is the part that ha- you have to give your club, you have to give yourself um, a, f- I would say, at least a 10 plus year runway. How do we groom these players who we know have skills, not just give them a home as far as, oh, you're always welcome. You know, OK, great. You know, how do we leverage the fact that you have a skill that is, let's just call it world class and use that for the club past being an ambassador, right? If you watch anything Roberto Carlos related, or sorry, if you watch anything Real Madrid related, you see a lot of Roberto Carlos everywhere, everywhere, right? He's an ambassador of the club. And that's great. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. But there's other players who have a higher, I'm going to call it higher leverage point um, if fashioned a certain way. And we don't know what, I mean, Florentino runs Real, so that is what it is. Um, So... I, I, I very much think that, yes, I mean, there, there, there's so many players because that's, that's it. You want, you want to control the game, literally. So, I mean, Bayern obviously does it quite well, it looks like. Are there other clubs that come to mind that are, have those kind of pathways or are good at bringing in these prominent players as directors? That you've seen or are, are well positioned to be that way it's a good question i i think off the top of my head there's only a few very good clubs say the byerns uh real used to do it a little bit more um but like i said for florentino runs a show so that's yeah that's that. <laughs> um but uh yeah i'm trying to think because it when you look at even like say a red bull salzburg and that those setups it's almost like they don't – they did it the other way. And obviously the other way is um, still very contentious. But they went, they went for the model and the, the, the funding as an underpinning first. So they've been able to just focus solely – at its inception, they focus solely on the development of coaches and players. And now they have a setup that's robust. And I, we're probably – I would say within the next three to five years, we'll see a former um, uh, Salzburg player in a somewhat more prominent director role at uh, at least the Red Bull Salzburg clubs. I don't know about Leipzig and the other ones, um, but 
like I said, as far as clubs wise, I don't really know if there's, I mean, Bayern is the standard. Um, Juventus had that to a degree, but again, it, it, you, what usually, and this is the part that, you know, can only talk so much about it without being in those circles publicly, or sorry, you know, secretly, but then also publicly, uh, you look at say Juventus when they had uh, Pavel Nedved and, and like, it's doable, right? But those players also have a star, like a literal star that, let's just say, directors or um, power brokers behind the scenes, they can corrupt, you know, <laughs> just calling it what it is. So it's not, I, I don't think it's great all the time, but you, you have to be mindful and careful. Um a lot of times you see it more so in the managerial pathway, right? Because that's easy, or that managerial or academy youth setup pathway, which is it's easier, and there, there's quite honestly a lot of work that needs to be done. So why not? Um, but I'm I'm even trying to trying to source a name from the Premier League. Um, well, Arsenal. Well, wow, duh. Yeah, Ar- Ar- Arsenal's right there. Um, I mean, they have it at technically. They might be. They they would probably be right behind Bayern you know, so to speak, as far as that DNA, because you have, you have Edu as, I'm just going to call it as, I'm going to call it lead director. I forget his exact title. But then you have Mikel Arteta as the the manager. And then you have Per Mertesacker over uh, the academy. Um, and then there's other former players. Uh, I can't say his name, but he's over the data side. Um, it, it takes time though, right? So that's why there's not more of it. And that's a poor excuse, but how many clubs want to focus on that? No, I, I was I was going to mention, yeah, and no, I was going to mention Arsenal as well as they they seem to be moving more into that kind of direction with regard, um, you know, the lead personnel in prominent roles within the club. Um, but just as a as one as one of the final questions, David, that's when you when you bring in a a prominent player or a player who's got a big name. Um, do you think it adds an extra level of tension between other people in the club, like a manager or a head coach or even head scout? You know, if, if Paolo Maldini is there, you know he's a serial winner. And then I come along and say, I've got a great player. And you're like, mm. well, the manager, you're making decisions. Do you think it, or am I just grasping at straws here? No, I mean, and and the tricky thing is, I, I would never say it recorded. <laughs> I would never go into like specific examples recorded. But yes, hundred um, percent. When, when you're talking about performance, there's always envy, there's always jealousy, there's always there's always an opportunity for those above to communicate to those below. And the best clubs, the best teams. This is regardless of sport, whether it regardless of whether it's a company, a sport team, politicians, there's always an opportunity to communicate. The best leaders communicate everything. And that is where the disconnect um, either, you know, grows or doesn't, you know, Um, when you look at, um, and I I haven't checked because I'm uh, strategically delayed, strategically delayed when it comes to drama. Well, you look at everything that ha- that has happened with Napoli and Victor Osimhen and the club. Who is saying what and what are they saying? Right, right. 
Because if we're being honest, everybody wants to talk. I mean, the big news that I can recall last week is, uh, what is this? I'm not overly a fan of his, but Tebas, La Liga's uh, president, was saying that there's, I think he said, a 70 or 80% chance Mbappe comes to La Liga next year. Guess what? Thank you for fanning the fire and the flames, right? Because on the backside of that, you have you have Osim Hen. You have, I mean, I don't want to talk about summer recruitment, you know, in October already, but you have big profiles that could be dominoes that move before or change the path of what a uh, Mbappe or whoever moves, right? But what does that have to do with your question? It has everything to do with your question because you're always going to be dealing with something, whether it's stupid, silly, social media related, or serious, very serious. Um, You look at the situation in the last, now let's just say, week or so, with Nice and the player, you know, uh, threatening to commit suicide. What was the club communication? It was there from manager, from ownership. I know that ownership hasn't been under the best of lights in the last few seasons, but they were there. They were there, right? So anytime you bring in any talent, anytime you make changes, anytime you change, I mean, how many stories have you have you heard over the past, well, since football, club football, where the manager, you get a new manager and he changes what's available at the canteen and players are mad, right? There's there's always something to be mad about. There's always something that you don't, quote unquote, deserve as a player of your, quote unquote, level, right? How is that communicated from the top down? Like, what are you, are you communicating it as a punishment? Are you communicating it as a new standard? Or, is, or are you communicating it as all the above as an opportunity to go even higher? Again, uh, I know that I'm a nerd. and I'm, I, I, When I say this, I say this because I just find it utterly fascinating. When you watch as many press conferences and you read as many transcripts as I do from managers and directors, you always come away saying, these guys say everything and nothing at the same time. However, if you understand who their main true audience is when they speak, you start to understand that they are always talking to the changing room. Always. Everything that they say is to the changing room because the changing room has at least one or two um, significant others or intermediaries attached to it. So you're not just talking to DAZN. You're not just talking to Sky Sports. You're talking to the player who you're trying to resign ahead of the winter transfer window. And you're trying to get all the voices, all the ears, all the tongues around that player to be in line with what you are trying to do for your club, for your project. So everything you say is important. So again, that was the scenic route. But yes, when you bring in a talented player, when you bring in any player, there's going to be, oh, is that, am I not good enough? Uh, I mean, you said that we weren't going to, you know, press that. Okay, you know. However, what is the project? How is that? Is it one by one? Or sorry, do you have a, a one-on-one conversation with players? You know, as they're you know training on the pitch. You know, is it something that you have a closed door meeting? Is it is it something where you just talk through the media? Is it something where you talk to the agent? These are all skills, soft skills, ironically called, that are about communication. It's why I share so much on it because it's never going to get as much. Um, credit or acknowledgement as signing a player for 500k 
euros and then selling him off, selling him off for 15 million euros. Everybody wants to talk about the beginning and the end. They don't want to talk about the sinew, the middle part of talking a player through slumps. You know, I mean, it, it, it's like talking a player through, hey, we're bringing another striker. Why am I not good enough? You are good enough. We're trying to save you, you know. And if he, if you guys do what you're supposed to do, you'll make each other better. But if that conversation isn't had, you just have distrust and you have uh, uneven results. So, again, I get passionate when I talk about these things because I, you can't always give proof openly for obvious reasons. You, as, uh, as the athletic likes to say so much, you want to protect relationships. Right? You, don't, you don't want to say things that violate or uh, air out relationships prematurely. However... It's important to always keep in mind that you the constant communication, constant communication, right? I mean, last thing I'll say is I, re- I read uh, Cristiano Giuntoli did uh, he did mixed zone, I believe, prior prior to last match day, and of course, you know, when is Juve going to be Juve again? Um, is, is Allegri the manager? Then, you know, the, the ongoing bomb. Oh, are you disappointed? Are you irritated in Paul Pogba? Right? Might as well, might as well shoot your shot, right, if you're a journalist and, and try to get headline-worthy material. And in his own way, Juntoli said, it's really early for that. We're, we're appealing. Irritation? There's no irritation. Like, we're just, we're just disappointed. We don't, he's not available to play for us right now. We'll figure it all out in the coming months. On the surface, that seems very um, objective. I'll be shocked if it is. It's not. What you're saying is, hey, that's one of our best players. Um, we're not irritated at what he did or didn't do. We don't have proof either way, right? We don't have proof. So that is directly to Paul Pogba's camp saying, we don't know. We want, we're, we're in the process of finding out. But more importantly, we're more sad that Paul isn't playing with us. That's that's the, the the manly commercial way of saying we love you, right? Like that's all that's all it's saying. He's not saying anything that is crazy or very, um, let's just say, uh, high functioning. <laughs> He's just making sure that there is camaraderie and consistent consistency, so that if one of his agents or people or whatever reads some spare comment. That uh, Demarzio or Romano said, like, no, 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 that's not what he said. That's not what he said. You know, he 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 loves you. They miss you. They want you back, right? Even if that's true or not, is that's a whole different conversation, right? So that that's my long-winded tangent answer for you. No, it's great. It's great. And you know, we spoke about communication before in the previous episode and the importance of it. And that sounds like a, a, a definite case of there was one bit of communication for the outside world, and one. For the inside world, which is probably often the case within football, I'm assuming. Just, just as a as a, as a last question, David, um, w- with regards different players, are, do they have a specific trait that you see um, that they bring, or some specific pattern? I mean, obviously they've got the name; they understand what it takes to win. But I'm just wondering if there's anything specific that you see in the way they behave. Um, in their roles that may be different from, say, someone like Monchi or or some of, I guess, the lesser-known players who have become to be really prominent directors? That is the question. That is, It's a tricky question because you don't 
it's it's not always easy to articulate but what i would how i would begin to answer that question i'll, I'll be be the reverse of what i normally do i'll answer the question and then i'll <laughs> you know, give it a context um, I, I what i constantly see and it's easier to see in managers because managers um have to articulate it uh, to the media as well faster they have a standard and that standard can be misconstrued very quickly right um which is about a lack of ability to communicate it right so what what you start to see is this standard of um i don't want to say something cliche like excellence but there has to be a a, a professional uh durability to 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 being ambitious i i mean that sounds very very rigid and formal but i, I don't know how to say it any other way like um when you look at a lot, a lot of these clubs and a lot of these directors want to say, oh, do they have our DNA? You know what? I mean, I'm being devil's advocate here. Stop saying that. Say, say, does this player want to be better than when he got here? Let's call a spade a spade, right? Because if that player has that, whether we're talking about non-league or we're talking about Champions League, if you have four or five players like that, it is contagious. It is contagious. And then you match a manager who is like that with a playing style that works. You, you start to get dangerous in your ability to hope and think of bigger things. Right. So to answer your question, I think it's a standard like they have they have this. Um, they have this desire to not lower the, the level of ambition of the players that they bring in, you know, it, they have to bring in a certain level of player where that gets tricky is when you're dealing with positions, uh, sorry, not positions, but um, depth at given positions or roles on the pitch and, you know, transfer, transfer market ability, if I could say it and budget. If you, if you can't, I mean, it's still kind of crazy to me. I mean, goalkeepers are, is, is a subject that I just, it might take me 10 more years to start to wrap my head around, but you need two good ones. And to pay for two good ones is like 100 million euros. It makes no sense to me. I'm not saying that like I understand or that it's bad. Okay. I'm just saying like <laughs> you have to pay for them and they might not ever play. They might not ever play for you. Right. It's, it, actually, it's it's the reverse transfer. We are going to pay or loan or pay for uh, a top shelf keeper. And we hope his number two that we are paying as a starter never plays like we hope he never plays usually right um so true to form i'm talking too much in a sense but yes uh there's a standard and that standard can fall into ego it can fall into um let's just call it lack of communication um but when you look at say Bayern, um you know, uh, when they let's look at just to finish off my, my Bayern analogies. When you look at this spring, they somehow Borussia Dortmund doesn't do the do the deal. They finish uh, second to Bayern and Bayern the week prior is signed. The ink is drying and like how the gone all over Oliver Kahn gone and they bring in the old guard and Hayner is the CEO. And the three of them have known each other for probably, I don't know, 40 years. What did they say? We have 
transfer market power. We need a striker. Who is the best striker that we can get? Who I'm going to say exemplifies what we're about. We cannot get Mbappe. We can't, like, you know what I'm saying? We can't get, we can't pay, we can't pay for Osimhen. Who is the next best player that fits that? I mean, obviously, you know, we're having this conversation uh, in early fall. They got Harry Kane and they paid for him. They paid handsomely for him. That is, that is a standard. They could have so. <laughs> I'm saying this, and I'm saying this as respectfully as I can. You know, two or three seasons ago, they got uh, Eric Maxim Chupomoting, right? I'm not trying to say anything other than that dude is not on Harry Kane's level, okay? As far as the a leading number nine striker, it's it's not even up for comment or just uh, debate. That is the difference between having a director or and or board who says. This player is of our is of our standard versus saying, hey, this player was available and it was financially viable. Those are two different conversations. Um, and, you know, without knowing all the details, I don't want to flog Khan or has, uh, Salah Hamidji too much about Chupomoting. But come on. Right. You know, like, come on. There's a vast difference in those two profiles. Yeah, no, it, it makes absolute sense actually about bringing in that level of standard um that they are connected with and what they have achieved and i think that can only add as inspiration or aspiration for the club across all its levels it feels like to me david again another really really insightful conversation very much enjoyed it i hope um you listening out there have enjoyed it also um as always i'll put david's uh, twitter handle in the show notes you know he puts out some really really interesting and and informative tweets on directors and football in general and as always please keep a lookout on our get football media outlets where we cover european football and world football with news videos opinions and some of the most with some well from some of the most plugged in analysts across the football landscape i'll add a link into the show notes for that also and lastly and as always we just want to thank you for being here with us and we hope you have a great day 